This is coffee number one. This is coffee number two. This is coffee number three, and now I'm ready to talk. This is coffee number three, now I'm ready to talk! Hello, and welcome to Coffee with Creatives, an interview-style podcast in which I, Michael DiBiazio, writer and filmmaker, sit down one-on-one with a fellow creative and interview him or her about the great work he or she has created or is creating and how they go about continuing to create it. (sighs) A little breath after that. Thank you for listening. If you are new to the show, welcome again, but special welcome. We like new people. New people smell fresh. And, uh... Yeah, I, I appreciate you being here. I don't want to creep you out right away. Although that is the running theme on this show. I can get creepy, but in an adorable kind of uh, manner, I think. I'm going to pretend that that's true. Anyway, this episode is with Tom or Thomas or Tommy Danucci. He goes by all three or any, which we'll talk about. And Tom is probably the guest of the show that I have known for the longest so far. We grew up together, and he's been doing some great things and producing a lot of work over in my home state of Rhode Island, out of our hometown of Cranston. And yes, that is a shout-out. Welcome anyone who's listening from either of those two places or both as it were. And so, yeah, Tom and I had a great talk about the many things that he does as a filmmaker, including writing, directing, acting, producing, the whole shebang. Subtopics we touched upon in our conversation include Tom's start as a background actor and his early experience just watching what different people do on a set and how invaluable that was early on. The story behind the story of the Martin Scorsese executive produced Bleed for This, which uh, Tom appears in and worked on. Digging in as a regional filmmaker despite stereotypes and challenges. In other words, doing great work outside of, for instance, New York and Los Angeles. Learning as we go, including identifying waste or finding new efficiencies with experience. Stretching your skill set by taking on new challenges getting your movie or project, if you're not making a movie but you're doing some other creative thing, seen and how important that is in terms of getting it in front of as many people as possible, and finally the benefits of keeping a rotation of projects and varying your goals and starting in on different goals as time goes on and as you go about creating day by day. This is a really great talk. Tom shared a lot of practical experience. He's very positive and optimistic and hardworking. That's an aspect of this conversation that really stood out to me that I appreciate as someone who comes from the same place as Tom does and and definitely did learn the value of hard work in what is uh, otherwise a a profession that requires a lot of thought and reflection, uh, but action uh, really does lead to results. So if you get anything out of what uh, Tom and I are about to share with you, I think it's probably that uh, do the work and learn and keep repeating that pattern over and over again, and you'll be surprised uh, at the results. If you enjoy this episode, please share it on social media. You can use Twitter. I am at Michael DiBiazio on that platform. Tom is there as well. You can retweet one of us. You can also share it on Facebook with all your friends and family. You can share it on Instagram, even though I'm not sure how that would work. But it's really uh, up to you. LinkedIn, uh, Snapchat is another app that the kids use. However you're comfortable with, it is appreciated. If you like it, share it. Nice and simple. Other than that, if you would like to learn more about me or my work, feel free to head on over to mdibiazio.com. You can go exploring. You can check out the page for the podcast and look at all the other great episodes that are available there. If you are a filmmaker or a film producer, there's plenty to choose from. Uh, Otherwise, feel free to click around to the various blog posts that you might find there. You can check out my work as a filmmaker, including my recently released feature film the video blogs which is also on itunes and verizon fios and amazon video 
or you can uh, send me a note. Go over to the contact page and let me know what you think about this episode or my work. Just uh, try to be nice. Um, Nice is always good. And if you have a question, feel free to ask. I will try to answer it. And of course, while you're there, if you feel like it and want to support Coffee with Creatives, you can do so by clicking over to the Patreon campaign for the podcast, which is on the Coffee with Creatives tab on my site. And that will allow you to make a small monthly contribution to the show, dollar a month, $2 a month, uh, $2,000 a month, whatever works for you. 2000 certainly works for me. And the reason that would be wonderful is because I would love to bring in some help in running the podcast because I'm starting to run short on time as I go about creating my stuff. However, I want to keep bringing you uh, all this useful knowledge. So if you can, if you feel so moved, Patreon, Coffee with Creatives, dollar a month, $2 a month or more, uh, that would be great. But really, I love you just for being here and uh, to show you just how much I mean that, I'm going to stop blabbering and bring you on over to Tom Danucci. Enjoy my talk with him now. See you on the other side. All right, so uh, Tom, is it, do you go by Tom or Tommy more often these days? No, like whatever anyone wants, really. I don't have much of a preference. I'm billed as Tom Danucci. Okay. Uh, like in SAG, I'm, uh, you know, that's my official SAG name, and that's what I've always billed myself as. So are you Tom when you're acting, and Tommy when you're directing, and Thomas when you're like start writing novels at 50? I don't know who I am, but that's a great <laughs> idea if I do novels, or, or even if I did any kind of like mechanical writing. Just like a how-to pamphlet. On, <laughs> yeah, um, then you have to add like a, even if you're not a, like a, a Thomas the Third, you have to add it at the end just for the... Well, I'm a junior, so I can do that. <laughs> there you go. Dude, we got this figured out. All okay. Right. Okay, well, uh, welcome to the show. It's great to uh, great to have you here. It'll be nice to catch up. I know we've been trying to do it in person for a while, but we will get there. We were so friggin' close. Yeah, we were close this time. And it was one of those things where, I, I got to be honest with you, I was with uh, my business partner, Sam Eilertson, who's also, uh, you know, when I direct movies, he's a DP. We all, he edits the movies. Uh, we're like Han Solo and Chewbacca of our little world. And uh, he was just like, man, I got to be honest with you. This meeting's really important. And he's like, always get my back. He's like, I don't believe you're going to make it. Like, he's very, like, <laughs> he's like a mechanical, like, he, he thinks, like, very... Uh, you know, he's a numbers guy and everything's like moving quickly. He's like doing the math and he's like figuring out the up streets it is and where he's got his phone out. Yeah, he's yeah. just like, you're not going to make it, man. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. In his face. And I'm like, all right. That's but I, but it was, uh, it was great to talk to you and I'm happy to be Skyping with you. Yeah. So uh, for everybody uh, listening, can you just kind of summarize? Um, I know I, I kind of covered a few of them quickly, but summarize your, your primary kind of modes of creative expression. Yeah, you know, I uh, I'm a writer, director, actor, also producer. Uh, you know, there's a lot of labels like that, but I, you know, I just I, I usually say I'm a filmmaker. You know, uh, I like to be involved in this uh, this wonderful little slice of of uh, entertainment in any capacity I can. Uh, and you know, really, that started just from when I was a, a kid, kind of coming up. You know, like still in school, uh, you know, probably in my late teens, just wanting to like a thirst to be on a movie set and not, you know, be a background actor. Oh, okay. LBI, LBI casting in Rhode Island is doing some kind of open call and yeah, I'll go down there and see what that's like. And some of my first experiences were as a background actor and just like kind of roaming around the set, looking around, wondering like who's doing what and like what's that guy doing and you know you'd see you could tell like who the directors were and who the producers were usually because they'd have sort of a different way about them um but then there'd be like a guy with his shirt off climbing <laughs> a fucking ladder and you'd be like why is this guy why is a pirate on the and you'd yeah. be like Rip. shirtless guy shirtless guy and you'd have no idea like how <laughs> this goes on you know and these yeah. are like on you you know big union movies so it was just kind of fun to like uh 
By the way, real quick, like, what is this an edited show? Like f bombs, things like that. No, you can go for it. You can okay. I, I try to do as little editing as possible. <laughs> but as far as uh, you know, this yeah, isn't no censorship. Kids, right? No little kids are going to hear this. No, <laughs> unless they want to. Unless, yeah, unless, unless yeah. they really if they have, want. If they have permission. Yeah, it's America. Some little kids getting high on uh, caffeine. On a side, side note, Mike, let me ask you a question. Okay. Uh, do you remember your first R-rated movie, and how old were you? Oh, you're turning the tables on me here. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure because I would have to, I would have to have known what an R-rated movie was. I'm sure I saw one before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you actually knew, do you don't, you don't have it like in your memory? I don't. I don't think so. No, actually, I mean, I, I remember being at the showcase in Warwick. Um, being one of the one, the one, the one among the group of us who looked older and trying to buy the tickets without having to get carded and, um, not getting in uh, at yeah. least one time. It yeah, usually five, worked. Yeah. The five o'clock shadow going at a pretty young age. Yeah, huh? very, yeah. very, very sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just I just brought that up because you know we mentioned you know kids watching this show and it's like obviously on the internet these days kids can watch whatever the hell they want. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. not as it's not as restricted as it was when we were kids, where it was like you know, you know, you, you could get into a movie if you could, but you know there were times when you couldn't get in and you'd yeah. be at least worried about that. Um, but yeah, that's my thing, man. Uh, you know, I I just uh, started off wanting to be involved in this business so much that I was willing to do whatever it took, and obviously that led to a number of different, um, you know, positions within this multifaceted, uh, thing that we do. Yeah. Yeah. It's come up on, it's, um, it's come up on the show before in a few different ways. One is that there are a lot of people who, who wear many different hats or switch hats from project to project. And then there's, it's also come up, uh, the advantages of, of doing different things along the way so that when you are directing and producing, for instance, or running a company, which, you know, you're, you're doing as well, right. Um, that you have all that experience to draw upon, uh, not only for the quality of, you know, any given project, but, um, you know, to, to be a good, to be a good, like leader. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, the old adage, uh, where, you know, to be a great composer, you've got to know how to play all the instruments. Yeah, yeah, I remember that adage from. No. I'm just, I don't know that. <laughs> I'm. I do not have any mu- musical literacy, but it does make sense. Yeah. Um. So, uh, before we get into the 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 uh, real nitty gritty questions, um, I have a random question to really start us off. Hit me. How do you uh? motivate yourself and or go about continuing your workout routine while traveling? That's a good question. Uh, you know what? The truth, the truth is Mike, I don't sleep a lot. Like I sleep probably four hours a night. Okay. That's a good night's sleep for me. Like I'm not, I'm not like weird the next day or anything like that's just my hours are, are funny like that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not like up by the candlelight writing all yeah. night long. I mean, I'm, you know, hanging out, watching TV. I'm looking up uh, vintage action figures on eBay. I'm doing a number okay. of things. I'm not always working, but I just don't sleep a whole lot. Um, like, I usually go to bed at a fairly normal human time, but then I'll get up extremely early. So I'm usually up around like 5, 5.30 every day. And it allows me all this... Uh, it's kind of like empty time where I'm just, you know, I get a little meat time and I'm by myself. Like I'm, I'm very rarely by myself. Cause you know what it's like. You're, you're making films. You're always surrounded by this family of people that you work mm-hmm. with. Yeah. And those like couple hours when I'm traveling, uh, and I'm alone and I'm, I can like, you know, it's so easy to like, especially if you're in New York, so easy to find a gym. You know, I, I just happen to be like two blocks from a New York sports club or whatever. And yeah, got a day pass or something. 15 bucks and I'm in, I'm on the bike. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Cool. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I just figured I'd start with that because I saw your post on Facebook and I was like, good for him. Just getting his workout in in the midst of a busy time. That's good for me. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, so for anyone, um, 
who hasn't already learned this by kind of reading the blog post or, or whatever that's going to accompany this, um, you're, you're just back, uh, in Rhode Island, right. From, um, a trip to New York for, or a trip to a couple different places. Is that right? For the premiere of, uh, bleed for this. Uh, it's, uh, it's been touring, uh, really all over. I mean, it's been all over the country. It was at Telluride. It was in LA. Uh, it, it's been at quite a few, uh, festivals, but it was kind of a special night, um, last week because of course we had the homecoming, you know, the Providence premiere yeah. and a lot of the locals that got a chance to, you know, a lot of the locals that worked on the movie and were in the movie and all that good stuff actually got a chance to see it. And, uh, it was a little special moment to have Paz in his backyard with all the filmmakers and Aaron Eckhart made it out and Miles Teller made it out. And everybody's really getting behind this movie, uh, you know, from Open Road, the distribution company, the company that bought the film and is putting it out there, um, to the actors themselves that are on the road traveling with the traveling show. This is an independent film. Yeah. So people got to realize this is, although we have Miles Teller and we've got Aaron Eckhart, this movie was made for six and a half million dollars, six million dollars, something like that. So that's a relatively small budget when you think about movies that, you know, are uh, up over, you know, 50, 60 and sometimes over a hundred million dollars. And then you've got this uh, movie right here that's kind of uh, it's an underdog movie and the story itself is an underdog and the movie itself is an underdog. So it kind of works. Yeah. And so um, can you kind of quickly summarize your, your involvement uh, in the project and also for anybody unfamiliar, uh, the, the basic story of the film? Yeah, um, I, uh, I was an actor in, in the film. I played a, uh, a very small part, but it was, it was one of those parts where I had a chance to, to work a lot of days and just like be on set a lot of days. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically played uh, one of Vinny's, uh, Vinny's the main character. I'll explain the story after this, but uh, I basically played the main character who's a boxer. I played one of the members of his entourage. There's several guys that kind of are just there, you know, they're in the gym, they're, you know, there to carry a bottle of water or whatever, you know, uh, in gear, they're punching the bag in the background, whatever. Um, so, you know, I, I do have one really cool scene with Miles, and that was really, really nice to, to be able to work with a guy like him. Um, I could go on and on about like what a great guy he is. There's no question uh, he's incredibly talented. And when you closed your eyes on set and he did his Vinnie Paz, um, and he got into his Vinnie Paz character, yeah. I mean, you'd think Vinnie Pazienza was in the room. Yeah. And I, I know Vinnie personally. I've known him for many years. And it was eerie how spot on he was. And he's just such a great guy. And it's one of those things where like his talent's one thing. Everybody knows he's super talented. But I think another one of the reasons why he's the star that he is, he's such a the commitment, a wonderful guy to work with, and yeah. just a wonderful guy to be on set with, and to you know bust your balls, so make you laugh, you know, he won't make you feel uncomfortable. And, um, you know, a lot of these, I've I've worked with actors that are nowhere near the caliber of a Miles Teller, and they, they you know tend to stick to themselves a little more and be a little more off in the corner doing their own thing and not really interacting with crew or other castmates. And, you know, Miles was the exact opposite. And he was, you know, the quarterback of the movie. So um, the basic story of the film is Vinny Pazienza. This is a true story, uh, which makes it so remarkable. It's why people are like, nah, this didn't really happen. Yeah, Yeah, I remember when when it was in the news all the time. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. Basically, what happened is you had this guy, Vinny Pazienza, who was considered almost a washed-up fighter at the time. He had won a world title, but then he had lost, and then he had like three kind of bad defeats in a row, and it wasn't looking good, and his own management said, look, you should retire. It's all over. Kevin Rooney, who was a famous boxing trainer who actually trained Mike uh, Tyson during his heyday as a heavyweight champion at 19 years old, um, he had gotten into some trouble of his own, had some DUIs, and basically the management said, well, we'll take this, what they thought was a bum fighter, and we'll take this bum trainer, and we'll put them, both, we'll put them together, and, you know, kind of put them out to pasture. And what ended up happening was, Kevin Rooney noticed that Vinny was cutting a lot of weight and like getting way down to an uncomfortable weight, like 140 pounds when he's naturally like 160 and then going and fighting and then you get really sick and emaciated. So he had him bump up two weight classes 
And it was one of these things that had almost never been done. Like only one other fighter was successful in that, you know, trying to go up a couple classes like that at the time. Um, so he goes up a couple weight classes and suddenly he's invigorated. He's fighting at his natural weight. He's punching like a heavyweight, but he's got the speed of a lightweight. And he wins this title. He, he ends up winning the middleweight title like out of nowhere. He was like an incredible underdog. Wins the title. He's on top of the world. They're talking about super fights, him against like Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, name that big fighter of the day, and he was going to make millions of dollars, and then boom, he gets into a car accident and breaks his neck, um, literally a month after winning that title. So talk about going from way up here to way down there. And they're telling him that he may never walk again. And uh, he's so defiant, and he, you know, he's a true, he's an animal in every sense of the word. And he's just like, no, that's not, that's not happening. He's like, I'm going to fight again. Uh, so he chose what any normal person would do, which is have a fusion surgery, which would be a, a very invasive surgery where you basically go in and you uh, fuse the bones together using metal rods. But he'd never be able to, he'd lose all mobility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, you know, the doctor was like, all right, well, the other option is Vinny. And, you know, this isn't a common option. But we can do what's called a halo, which is they literally screw metal rods into your skull. And they have rods like down to your shoulder. And there's a whole vest that you wear. And it just keeps you incredibly still. And you have to sit like this for months. Right. Well, well, the body he does it, does what it can. Yeah. And it'll just naturally, it'll do what those metal rods were going to do. But it's just like holding you perfectly in place. But one little, one little turn the wrong way, one little bump, and it could break. And then you, you're back to square one. So it's very, very dangerous. So what he did was he, you know, clen, you know, there's a clandestine training sessions that would take place where he would get up in the middle of the night. This is no joke. Five days after getting the halo on, he'd get up in the middle of the night. He'd creep down to his basement. And he'd slowly lift weights, like the tiniest weights first. And he'd get on the bench, and he'd do a bench press. And he'd slowly, he, he, every night, he would get stronger and stronger. Um, and he just kind of like, I guess what he was doing really was his own physical therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, he, and, and he learned how to deal with that pain. He never took one painkiller during this whole thing. Um, so basically... Uh, he slowly progressed and came back and said, oh, okay, I'm ready to fight. And his trainers were like, his boxing and management was like, are you kidding me, Vinny? Like, you're not going to fight. Like, you're done. And then it turned out he had a couple sparring sessions. And then suddenly they're like, whoa, this is money. <laughs> you know? Yeah. This guy's come back. That's big bucks right there. So uh, long story short, you know, I, I, it's not really a spoiler. I hate to give, give away the movie. You can look this up on Wikipedia. You know, the boxing record. Guy went on to win three world titles after that broken neck, and it's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I always figured it was a matter of time before uh, a movie, the movie got made. So I'm glad, glad to, glad to see that you guys got around to it. It's, it's, a, it's a compelling narrative for sure. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, I don't think you could find an argument for it. It's the greatest comeback in sports history. I don't know that you could find anyone. And, you know, since the injury is so specific to what the athlete does, since you're getting punched and boom, every time you get hit, boom, one little jab, boom, your head's just snapping back 200 times a fight. Um, The fact that it was so specific to the injury and that he was still able to come back and and not just come back and have a couple club fights, he fucking Roberto Duran. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. So, so it's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Back. So, that was a great movie to be a part of. Everyone was just like, it was so skillfully made. I had a real like, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it was just like I had an education. You know, like watching these guys work, and you know, the producing team was outstanding. You, know, you had like, uh, obviously, Martin Scorsese was the executive producer. Um, you, you have. Uh, Chad Verdi in there who kind of like saw the story years ago and, you know, immediately like how you said, you know, oh, this is clearly a narrative that could be a movie. You know, he was pretty much the first guy to 
recognize that and put his money where his mouth is and 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 make it happen and assemble a dream team you know in in terms of um you know you've got Ben Younger directing the film director of ocean of a, of of a boiler room um and it's just you know it, it was it was just really great to watch these guys do their thing for like yeah. 24 days or whatever it was cool Okay, so uh, you know, and obviously, uh, it's a. It's- oh, I'm forgetting one name. I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, go ahead. Uh, Bruce Cohen. Working with Bruce Cohen was something else. Um, he he was the producer of Silver Lining Playbook and American Beauty. Hello, how you doing? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah. To, to work with that guy, like he's a, a, another one who just like I learned a lot, and it's just attention to detail. Like if I yeah. could sum it up in one thing. It's attention to detail. Like, yeah. just doesn't miss a trick. You know, yeah. like he, like if he has a conversation with a guy, he will remember every single little detail about that conversation, every word that was said, what kind of shoes the guy you know was wearing, whether his shirt was tucked in, like how his posture was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that attention to detail that I think lends itself, trickles down all the way down the line to producing a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. That's also come up on, um, recently on, on the podcast. Okay. So, um, the, the next, the next question I was going to ask was, so this is clearly, um, you know, a very you know special story to the, you know, the local community of, of, um, you know, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, you and, and your associates are, are, very much at the center of, of what's, what's going on with the, you know, with the, with filmmaking and producing in the, in the area. Um, so, you know, can you talk a little bit about, about that journey? Because it's, uh, I see how, how much work that you and your team and your associates put out, uh, culminating in something like this. And I'm sure there's more to come. Um, and it's just, it's just a really strong example of, of, not depending entirely on being in New York and LA and continuing to, to produce work consistently. So can you, can you speak a little bit about uh, both your journey and your motivations for that? Yeah, that's a, that's a cool question, Mike. Um, because obviously that's been sort of like the big ball that's chasing after me, like in Indiana Jones, my whole life. Like the fact that like, can you do this while not having an address that says New York or California? Like, can this be done? Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is, uh, about 10 years ago when I started, um, a lot of people, if you said, yeah, you can do that, would have been very, very skeptical uh, and would have probably appeased me by saying, okay, cool, that's great, but really been thinking, this guy's going to fucking crash and burn. Are you kidding me? Like, what's going to happen? How are you going to make, how is there going to be that much work coming in? How is there going to be that much of an infrastructure to support that much work? Um but you know what? There was something about working with Chad Verdi at an early age. Like, I, you know, I, I was uh, an intern uh, working with him when I was probably 24, 25 years old. Um, and getting to see how dedicated to supporting this, you know, you, you hate to sound hokey, this dream or whatever, this vision. I call it a business model because that's what it is. This is a business. Sometimes people forget that. Yeah. But this is ultimately a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was his business model. And it worked really, really well. And it was, let me start off with some horror movies that are of a certain, you know, a certain budget that you know you can make it a certain number. It's a genre that's, you know, it's got, got that instant audience. Um, and you make your mistakes on those movies. You know, you learn how to do things on those movies. Knowing that all along as the content, uh, you know, as the, as the time progressed and the company got better at what they do, which is make movies, you start taking on the bigger projects that mean more and they, they really, really mean something. Not that those didn't mean anything, but it's like anything else. I mean, the more time you're in the batter box, the more, the more chance you have to, to like learn how this guy pitches and, you know, size him up and figure out his tendencies. You're going to eventually get a hit, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, if you swing the bat enough times, you're going to make contact. Uh, I hope so. so yeah, you'd hope so. <laughs> but you got to swing the bat. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, yeah. That's part of the that's part of the metaphor. And sp- swinging that bat was making movies like Incubus and making movies like Infected and Self Storage was my first film. And those were those first swings at the plate. And I, and for me, it was like, holy shit, 
that's fast. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And you learn how to like, you know, time that out. And you know, you can't watch the you can't watch the ball because it comes too fast. You're just gonna swing. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of how my career was in the beginning. It was just kind of swinging. And uh a lot of foul balls and a lot of you know, like we you know, we made a lot of mistakes, but we learned a lot about making films. And we learned about people. We learned about like who are the people that I really want on my ship? And who can get in the space pod and get the fuck out of here? <laughs> you know, yeah, just, yeah. Sure. Like, who's useful? Who's not? Where, where's money that you waste, man? Oh, my goodness. If I could go back on certain movies that I've worked on and been like, hmm, don't need to spend two grand on that. Yeah. You know, like, that was a waste of money. Or, or oh, geez. For another couple hundred bucks, that shot would have looked so much better. I should have fucking... Yeah. Sold a baseball card to get the money. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. done something that would have been so cool. You know? Yeah. You forget sometimes that these movies live on forever. You know, like you get a little lazy and tired on set, and you forget that, like, all right, you know, go all the way with it because sure. once you make the movie, it's over. Yeah. Um. So I think to sum up your your uh, answer is just like it wasn't an accident. You know, it was methodically done. There was a plan. You know, it was like, let's make these small movies and let's crank them out and uh, let's learn how to get better at what we do. Uh, and then let's build some traction. Let's make some great connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's sell some movies. Let's get them out there. A lot of people make movies, but not a lot of people get them out there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to pull numbers out of my ass, but I, I think the statistics are staggering in terms of like, I think like 90 to 95 percent of movies that are made never get distributed yeah no it's 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 pretty high i i i think it's come up on um it's come up in another episode it, it's pretty high yeah and I, i'm sure that number has gone up a little bit because there's such a content boom right now and what yeah. like what you consider distribution yeah. but um I, it's it's kind of staggering so yeah. you know just the fact that like you even get the movies out there is a big big accomplishment yeah. uh, something to hang your head on as a company because then other people look you up and, you know, you can say, like, here's a movie in Walmart, you know. Yeah. The movie exists. You can, yep. you can go to and purchase this film right now. Yeah. For for um, for us, like, with, uh, with the video blogs being our first feature, it's uh, – I just, I just noticed an immediate change. It, once, once the film is, is done and people – you can tell people that there's, you know, there's distribution. It's coming out on X date, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's, you know, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't like an overnight thing or, and it wasn't like an astronomical change, but it was a, it's been a distinct change in terms of who will, who will take what meetings or like what people then introduce you to other people because it, you know, there, it's like this vetting process where it's like, oh, this is, this is coming out and, you know, this is somebody that, you know, we might want to keep an eye on, or this is a company that, or like a team that we might want to work with in the future. And it's, it's, but you do have to do that, that work. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just nice to have that experience and it's nice to go through that too. And it's nice to understand like, uh, you know, the amount of work that goes into it and then you kind of appreciate it, you know? Yeah. So on that, on that token, actually, so, um, how many, uh, so first of all, uh, you said you, you started as an intern with, uh, was it Chad? Yes. So how did, how did that come about? Well, I was actually, the, the first thing I did out of the business was I was an intern with a, a filmmaker by the name of Michael Carrenti. Right. Uh, which is the last time that we met in person, I think. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We were at Taza with Ryan Murphy. Yep. Shout out to Ryan. Um, and uh, Michael ended up making a couple movies with Chad. Uh, and then I ended up writing some scripts that Chad really fell in love with, one of them being self-storage. Uh, and that was kind of it. We really clicked. You know, Chad and I really bonded um, from an early, you know, at an early point uh, of working with him. Uh you know, everything from just like, you know, you got to keep it light sometimes. They're long days, you know, yeah. and uh, just in terms of like, you know, laughing, keeping the mood light, uh, joking about things that were appropriate to joke about, of course. And, you know, um, we, we both were baseball fans. We both uh, like sports. Um, so we had a lot of similarities and just kind of hit it off. Sometimes you hit it off with, with a person. You know how it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, that went on to... Uh, 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 several years of making films and still rocking it out and uh, 
they, they just keep getting better and better. And it's, it's a really exciting time to, to be making movies in Rhode Island. How many, um, how many projects have you guys produced over the past 10 years or so, uh, locally? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, again, I'm, I'm just like kind of guessing, but I think Jed's produced now like 12 yeah. films, something like that. Um, personally me, I've, I've directed four features now. Um, my fourth one coming out uh, yesterday, which was Arlo the Burping Pig, not to be confused with any of the other Arlo the Burping Pigs out there, <laughs> the 2016 one. Um, but you know what? Uh, it's a really cute family comedy, and that's, yeah. that's a genre that I always wanted to kind of move into. Like, I, I grew up on, uh, you know, you have, a, you have a brother, I'm pretty sure. And yeah. You grow up watching movies with your sibling. Yeah. You know? For me, it was like watching movies with my sister. And we grew up on all those John Hughes family comedies. Yeah. You know, and nobody died. There's no blood. There's no guts. Right. There's no aura and, and you know, sinew. And uh, there were like, like great family comedies that had heart, mm-hmm. that, you know, moved you, that made you laugh out loud at times. Yeah. That made you want to watch them again and again. Yeah. You know? And this was an opportunity for me to make a movie like that where I knew that I could get out there to a, a wider audience and it wasn't just the horror of freaks that, you know, uh, that, that are going to only like this one thing. And by freaks, I mean that in a sincere way. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you mean diehard fans. Yeah, the, the fans, you know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them, I'll yeah. admit it. Yeah. Um, but uh, basically, uh, it was just a chance to, to make a different movie. Yeah. Uh, that gets out to a different variety of people. And for me, it was a chance to work on a different skill set. I mean, I'm still trying to get better every time I make a movie. And for me, this one was working with kids, you know, right. and animals. My lead was a, uh, you know, a, a seven or eight year old little girl, you know, and I think she was eight or maybe nine. She was a kid. That's the point. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I don't have any nieces or nephews. I don't have any children. Yeah. I coach a baseball team. I have zero interaction with kids. So for me, this was like, you know, an episode of like, it was like Big Daddy I'm making a, a movie now, you know, because like, I'm not the type of guy to, you know. So, I mean, I found myself on the first day like being like, hey, honey, so um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you're going to walk out that door. And she'd be looking at me. You forget like how smart these kids are. She'd be looking at me. Just like, talk to me. <laughs> Is this guy serious? Like, what? <laughs> Talking to me like that. Like, you know, I'm not three. So I had to learn how to like you know yeah, yeah. communicate with the kid, and by the end of the movie we're you know we're laughing we're having a great time, uh, and you know I learned a lot. Cool. I, I, you know, she taught me a lot uh, just in that sense. And this girl is is a little star. Um, her name is um, Lindsay Blanchard, and she's just like a little Shirley Temple kind of uh, reincarnation. Uh, very smart, very sharp, uh, and she's driving the bus on this movie you know she's the main character right. it's all on her um it's her and it's her story uh, basic basically the, the the background is you've got a family that's moving cross country and this little girl is setting up shop in a new place and she doesn't have any friends and things don't go so hot for her the first couple of days at school and suddenly a friendly little pig ends up in her backyard uh through uh some you know funny little circumstances shenanigans. That finds some shenanigans and of course she ends up taking the pig in and falling in love with it and uh and it burps and it burps and we had drake <laughs> bell uh from the hit tv show uh drake and josh uh do the voice of arlo the pig which was awesome he was really cool to work with that guy's a pro. He's done voiceovers for like Spider-Man animated series and things like that. So it was a lot of fun. That was another kind of little learning kernel mm. for me. Uh, I had never done, I've done of course ADR, I've done of course some voiceover stuff. I have never done a voiceover uh, with that kind of comedic timing needed where it's the classic like, you know, you see the animal and it's talking, the, the humans don't hear it, but we do. Yeah. Kind of a shtick. Um, and it had to be so specific and it had to work so well. And yeah. he just nailed that. Yeah. It takes a lot of technique even for, for the simplest 
Yeah, to time the timing devices. has to be right. Otherwise, it's very obvious that you know that the oh, pig is not talking. The pig's not talking. There's a voice. <laughs> and I'm suddenly out of the illusion. Yeah. So, um, so the next question then is: that's a lot of productivity, right? So I know you mentioned that um, you know the importance of of making making mistakes and building skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, anything else that you know people listening might might do well to, um, you know, take note of in terms of what you've, what you've learned or what you've seen, uh, work in terms of, you know, consistently producing work, because there's two, there's two reasons for asking. One is I think it's going to be only more important for us to, to keep figuring out ways to make things and get them out there in the environment where, you know, you, you're facing so much saturation in, in content and so much competition from, from TV um, that it's, 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 I think it's only going to become more necessary to build a library uh, of, of content or, or to kind of keep producing things and selling them and et cetera. Um, and what was the other reason that I was asking? That's, let's just go with that for now. Um, how, how have you, you and or, um, you know, Chad or some others you've worked with, how have you gone about doing that? Um, so that, so that you've produced so many projects in a relatively short amount of time for that number. Um, well, I think it comes down to a couple things. Uh, I think ultimately number one, you always need to have quality products, whatever you do, it's gotta be good enough. And what I mean by that is, you know, people may have their opinions, was that a good movie? Was that a bad movie? I didn't like this actor. I didn't like how that movie ended. That was dumb. You know, people are going to say stuff yeah. like, uh, it's just going to happen. You know, you're going to slave away yeah. a fucking year making this movie, maybe more. Yeah. And then, and then someone's going to walk out of the theater after seeing it. And they're going to say, they're going to look to their friend and they're going to say, that yeah, was good. And then they say, where are we eating? <laughs> and then it's over yeah. for them. And we slave away for it. So like, you know, at the end of the day, uh, make them quality so that you can sell them. Because my point of that whole diatribe there was people may like the movies, they may not like the movies, but if the movies get out there, they get distributed, and they get a chance to actually find a home, then that's kind of what you're trying to do. Otherwise, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around here, it doesn't make it sound. You know what I mean? Like, great. You know, we saw your movie. You know? Um, so I think it's important to make quality stuff. Um, and to, to be always setting up your next project while you're in production. Right. You know, like I'm always like, uh, uh, I've an older filmmaker that I was, you know, learned a lot from one time told me, you know, you're never as hot as you are when you're in production. Like you're never, you know, as, uh, meaning, and what that means is you have an opportunity to do things like, you know, get people excited about what's next because mm-hmm. let's face it, making a movie is so, is really exciting. You know, it's a really cool thing. You know, it's a drug of some kind. You know, there's an energy on the field, so to speak, when you're making a movie. Yeah. And if there's not, you're not doing it right. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, you're just not doing it right if there's yeah. not energy there. Um, so my point is, like, uh, I, th- I think you gotta just try to continue to make movies, set up your next project while you're in, while you're in this kind of hot streak mode where you, people can visit you on the set, see what you're, see what you're doing and, you know, get you and you can, you can get them. Inevitably people are going to ask that question. Well, what's next? Yeah. What are you doing next? Yeah. Uh, and you, and if you don't like the biggest mistake you can ever say is I don't have any, well, right. I'm still deciding what's next. Yeah. Like, oh, well, next I got this thing and now uh, we're very close to being finished with the financing. Would you like to get involved? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> You know, you got to be always ready. Like, you should always know what your next couple... Like, my advice to a young filmmaker would be, like, don't just plan this step. Like, plant... You know, it's chess. It's chess. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to yeah. move the knight thereafter. He's going to take this piece, and I'm going to come in with my bishop, and then it's over. Yeah. You know, you, you got to be thinking ahead. The um, other good thing about that is 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 it, it takes the pressure off of one project being everything. You know, like... Yes, like absolutely. Right now, I'm I'm... I actually like my what's next uh, actually has changed, but it's st- the script is still there. There's so few people who know about it. I switched my priority for now. 
but but it's always there if I need it. There's there you know there's a there's a few scripts like that that could you know I could pivot to or mention to someone and and start in on. But also like right exactly right now I'm 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 kind of trying to finalize this script for the next project, and um, I'm also you know writing my first book and I've I've this week exactly I've had days where I'm like so grateful to have two like I never you know used to worry about this sort of thing but. I'm so grateful to have two large projects to turn to because today I didn't feel like writing, um, the book. I just, I was just like yesterday, like I got to a certain point and I was like, Oh, this next stretch is going to be tough. I'm going to have to like gather some energy, but I know that I can pull out my script and my pen and start making notes for the next draft. And it's just, it's so and that's freeing. Still kidding. And that's still writing. Oh, it's still writing for sure. Yeah. It's still working. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a really good point you just made. And I think other writers need to know that. Like I've told you, you uh, you're right. I'm right with you on that. And I've actually told other people that. Like if you find yourself in a in a state of writer's block or whatever, because people are always like, "Well, what about writer's block? Do you ever just sit there and not know what to write?" And it's like, no, man. There's always fucking work to be done. It's like a wood shop. It's like even <laughs> if you're not fucking building something, you could be fucking sweeping all the sawdust. You'd be cleaning the tools. You know what I mean? And what I, what I mean by that is, like, if you sit down at your computer and you feel like the words just aren't flowing out of your fingers, take a step back. Go yeah. see what you wrote yesterday. Reread it. Oh, maybe you'll see a stupid typo that if you send someone, they think you're a fucking idiot. And you fix that. And maybe if that's the only thing you got, at least you got something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just go back sometimes. Yeah. So, actually, that leads to another question. Um, I, I've noticed, um, you know, it's been great reconnecting a little bit these last few years. And, like, we were, I really just kind of can keep up with you on, on Facebook and we talk incrementally. But I have noticed that, that you're, you're very positive. Um, and even, like, in, you know, you're very interactive with, with fans and stuff on, on social media. Um, how, you know, is that, you know, can you speak to that in terms of the, whether it's intentional, whether it's just part of who you are, that you've seen the benefits or how it's, how it's helped with the, the movie making? The truth is, man, I'm just so grateful. You know, like the fact that like, like we said, like we were joking, like you slave for a year, you know, to make this movie. And like, it's true. Like we really work so, so hard to make these films. And I'm just grateful that like, Somebody that I don't even know, like, took the time to take a look at my movie or even watch a preview or just, you know, find out, like, what's the deal with it. Look at a couple photos and hit the like button. Like, the fact that a stranger that I don't know checks that out and drops me a, a line or a nice word or a, a, a congratulations, I mean, I'm genuinely really happy about that. And it makes you feel good, you know. And for all the bullshit people say about social media and its negatives, and trust me, it's got a fucking ton of them. But it's got a lot of positives too, and like one of them is being able to connect with people that you'd never know and share a moment where you're like, "Hey, that's really cool." Hey, thanks, man. Really appreciate it. You know? And, yeah, yeah. And I think more, more people should be like that. And um, you know, we have these fantasies of what it was like maybe 75 years ago, or even you know in the 50s when the mailman's walking down the street and he's like, "Hey, how you doing, Ted? I'm doing great." at the meat market oh pick me up a pound of, of uh, those lamb chops you know like just like a friendlier time you know like we have all these fantasies of that well you know like that's kind of like to me like that's what i try to make it like on on facebook like why can't it be like that like why can't everybody just kind of see yeah. we're already fucking nosing around in everyone's shit anyway yeah. we're all creeping on everybody might as well be friendly and say hello and i appreciate it that's great. That's that's. I think that's a good answer. I, you know, I. It's a big reason why we made the this film that we did. It was just to show, uh, particularly to social media, but also in in, in real life beyond that. Um, perhaps with social media as a as a gateway, it, there's there's uh, just as much opportunity to to be helpful, or to to not um, not use the technology or use the opportunity. Um, that it provides to to uh, limit a conversation by by being you know by just by behaving poorly or by behaving out of critical people negative people that's just really unhealthy it's not good for you and uh, the truth is most people in the business that are really in the business they're very positive people and they're easy to get along with and they're you know they're good people you know it's like it's not an accident. You know, yeah. Why, why would you want to? I mean, like, on a movie set, you, you practically you're going to camp with them. 
You know, like that's how these friendships are forged so quickly. Because like you're spending every moment with them for weeks and weeks, and you bond really fast. And it's like, who wants to be in camp with some fucking jerk? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. chances are, like those guys get weeded out. You know, yeah. Wrong. There's always going to be a couple assholes in every bunch. And some of the best directors, the best producers. I'm not saying this from personal experience, but I'm sure there's a lot of fucking you know not so nice guys out there. And, yeah. But the truth is, I think the majority of them are pretty positive and. Good yeah. people to be around for an extended period of time that you'd want to go work hard for. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, specific question: What's um, what's one thing that um, a an artist, a creative, an actor? You can answer it from as many different angles as you want, or you can answer more broadly. But what's one thing uh, you know a creative person can do in an hour or less? to um, perhaps exponentially move their project or career forward? Um, from mm. your, in your experience, from your point of view? I mean, it's a tough question just because it's like, are they a, an actor? Are they a director? Are they a writer? You know, this is, I would, because I have like different answers for each. Go for it, man. And like, or just um, pick one. I, I guess, you know, if, if you're... If you're a writer, I guess like this is a, you know, a good one for creatives that can't necessarily harness an idea. How about that? Okay. Um, yeah. A lot of times people will say like, I've got this great idea for a movie, but I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, for like first time screenwriters that are trying to get into it. And I'm a big fan of these, like I have this like simple beat sheet method that I do where I have, you have your three act structure. Everybody knows it. And then basically I have, um, I have 10 beats that go on in each act, 10 events, 10 things that happen. And you tell your story, just like you're telling a friend right now, like what, Hey, what happened? Like when you asked me earlier, like what, you know, what the Vinnie Paz story was, you know, just like those simple beats, yeah. uh, you have 10 of them in that first act and then you have 10 of them in that second act and then you have 10 of them in that third act. And you just write them down on a piece of paper, you type them up one or two sentences to explain each beat, what, what's happening in your story right now. Um, from beginning to end. And then you take those 10 beats per act, 30 beats in total, and you try to write three pages of screenplay format writing <laughs> per beat. Yeah. You know, milk that for three pages. Act one, you know, beat one, milk it for three pages. Beat two, milk that for three pages. And if you stack up all those pages, you're going to have 90 pages. And it should make some fucking sense if you, if you did your outline right. Yeah. And it's just like a simple way to be like, you know, sometimes you find yourself getting stuck and you're like, wait, what am I doing again? And you read that one sentence, that one like event that you're trying to write about. And it kind of puts you back on track. Yeah. You're like, oh, wait, oh, this is all I'm trying to do in these three pages. Yeah. That goes by like that. Three pages goes by like nothing. Yeah. You really get cranking and, you know, you slug out some action lines that are a little longer than they should be just because, uh, you know, you'll get your three pages pretty quickly and you'll get your beats going and, you know, you, you'll have a tendency to, you won't have a tendency to be stuck so much because you have a map, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Cause it's, I, I don't, I don't work that way in particular, but I don't not work that way either because like I, I've gotten much more flexible over time with, uh, with scripting. And, and the thing I like about it is that it's ordered and it's simple. Like yeah. it does, it's, it's paper, it's cheap. Or even if you may not even be printing at this point, you may just be like, per, you know, publishing PDFs and scanning yeah, through an iPad. It's chalkboard. Like, you and, know? And it's, but it's, but it's like, it can be that, it, it can be that easy and you can always rewrite. Like it, it's, it's right. about, it's about digging out. People forget that, Mike, you just had a, made a really good point. People forget that like, you're not writing this in fucking stone and, you know, carving it into something like, yeah. it's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect the first go. Go back and rewrite it, you know? Yeah, and you can rewrite it and, like, you know, you you want to do that as many times as it takes to 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 keep the, you know, the rest of the mistakes out of, you know, shooting and editing. But it's just a – it's a it's right. a process of, of refinement from from that moment on. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's a good – that's a good answer. Um, okay, so what um, – sim- you know, similar question uh, – you know, someone's listening and, and they're a young, um, actor or director or producer. Um, 
and or or they're just looking to kind of jumpstart um you know their project or or career in in a more uh kind of existential way you know other than kind of like a specific um you know tactic like we just talked about what what would you say to them what advice would you have for them to, to um, either get started or get yeah, restarted that's a good question too cuz you know that comes up a lot and this is going to sound like a cheesy 90s nike ad but you just got to do it you know what i mean like if you're an actor go fucking act like go go find a playhouse go find a theater there are tons of them if you really look for them if you really spend a couple months crack, you know pounding the pavement Look, you'll find one little theater company or one little – or we're doing a play next month and there's auditions or uh, – or if you, if you have zero – if you live in a bunker and you never leave and all you have is your phone, do monologues on your phone. You know, Learn, Read a monologue, study it, and then hit record, turn your camera on to selfie mode, do the monologue into the phone and do it all the time. Train it, train it, train it. You know, like do it. You know, like I, a lot of – I see so many actors and like it makes you want to like – it makes you. It's a. It can be obnoxious. It's like there are so many actors that claim to be actors, and they don't train the craft. Yeah, they don't fucking act in anything. It'd be like saying you're a boxer and never going to the boxing gym and expecting to just like my manager's just going to give you a prize fight one day. It's like no man. Like the good boxers are in the gym every day. They're punching the bag. They're running. They're doing road work. They're hitting the oh, speed bag. Okay. If but I got the gloves. I got the gloves and the shorts. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, they just want to wear the. They just want to go wear the shorts and the robe, and they want to take a couple pictures and put it on Facebook. But like, if you really are serious about it, go act. And there's enough. I mean, I did this a lot when I was kind of coming up and first started doing this. Uh, there's a ton of of jobs on NewEnglandFilm.com. If you're a New Englander, um, I'm sure New York has the same kind of thing. And there are these jobs, and you can look for them. You'll see some jobs have a little money sign and some jobs don't. And the jobs that don't, they don't pay. But you know what? You're going you're gonna to get a credit. You're going to learn. You're going to be doing it. So, like, go do some free work, you know? Go do some free student films. They're everywhere if you look for them. Yeah. Um, and you can really only learn by doing. And that goes for acting. That goes for writing. That goes for directing. We got this thing now, you know? Like, with a cell phone... I mean, I wish I had one of these when I was a kid and like rather than stealing my dad's high eight movie camera and getting yelled at for, you know, sh- shooting videos and my friends, you know, kicking each other in the nuts or whatever we would do. Sure. Um, I-, I wish I had a- an iPhone because this is like, I mean, you got a movie studio in your hand. Yeah. You can literally download Final Cut on this thing or, you know, whatever editing software you want. You can be making movies on your phone. There's no excuse to not be doing that. Um, you can get a little lens package for it if you want. Yeah. You can put a lens on your phone to make it even better. And um, so, you know, when people talk about things like budgetary constraints and things like that, and it's like true, you know, it is hard. That's a tough hole to crawl out of. But you still can do. You could a great story can still be told without a ton of money. Yeah. If it's done creatively. Um, so, I guess to sum that up, it's just. Go out there and do there. If you're an actor, act yeah. right. right you yeah, know. yeah. I, there, it's the same advice has come up many times. And and the other thing that I would add to go back to what you were talking about before with um, with uh, the company, uh, especially as as you get older and you learn more about how things work and you meet more people. And I would also add it. It helps to do some research. Like go out there and, and keep abreast of what's going on in the industry on the technological side, on the audience building side, on distribution, like be educated. Don't obsess over it. Cause that's a whole separate hole. But like, yeah, like I don't watch a lot of movies and, and like, I really don't, I don't watch a lot of television. Like uh, people kind of rag on me for that sometimes, but I know what's out there. Yeah. And you know what's going on. Yeah. You know what I mean, like I, I'm watching previews. I watch a lot of trailers. Like I kind of get, I get, I got the gist. Like I know what's hot right now. Um, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm always trying to see what's out there because we do live in this type of a world where um, it's it's kind of like you know creatively birds of a, of a feather kind of flock together. It seems like oh, if people like movies about vampires this year, hmm, maybe a small indie horror film with a vampire would be you know vampire slayer chick or whatever you want to call it. Some you know 
that might be cool or werewolves are in or you know whatever's in that year uh that trickles down like whatever a-list hollywood movie is being made these smaller indie films usually make a you know i don't want to say a ripoff because you know it's not uh but you know yeah, there are trends there's certain genres yeah, that become popular at certain times they're jumping on the wave. So you got to know what kind of stuff's in style right now. Yeah. And, and you know, the reason I was bringing up too, was to, to point out that, you know, that what you were testifying to, which was a clear strategy and not everyone's going to have a, a business model and a strategy, especially from a young age or, or to start with. But I, I, I do think it helps to both make things and have some sense of progress and have some, um, definition of, of vision. Um, because between the two, you're never going to be able to get either perfect on their own, but between the two day by day, if you keep working, if you keep producing things, you'll learn more, you'll see more of what's working, what's not good to go back to where you started. And, um, it just, it just gets easier, you know, with patience and, and, you know, some, some uh, getting knocked down and getting back up again along the way. Yeah, sure. and, and, you know, a little, little luck. Everybody needs a little luck. You meet right. the right person. You have the right phone call. You decide to take that meeting that you weren't sure about if you felt like getting in the car and driving to. Or, you you know, you you got to take a shot once in a while. You have to gamble on yourself once in a while um, because sometimes that's when your luck can come in. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, uh, this was great. Uh, it was nice to catch up. We'll have to do it, you know, do it again when we finally get together in person. Um, yeah. where can, uh, people go to find out more about you and your current and future work? Uh, right now, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tom DiNucci, uh, and you can follow me on Facebook. Just look up Tommy DiNucci on Facebook. See, I've got all, all three. <laughs> Uh, depending upon what social media and of course uh, my company is Woodhaven Media and you can find us we have a Facebook page as well it's just Woodhaven Media uh, and it'll come up and uh, we try to post a lot of stuff about what we've got going on we just made a movie called Anders Manor that we're going to be spending the cold Rhode Island winter in the editing room putting together so I'm really looking forward to that Uh, very cool uh, uh, kind of a psychological uh, creature movie of sorts uh with a demon with a a side of demon i always feel like i'm kind of like i'm telling you the specials for for tonight you know this burping pig demon yeah we have a for the main course we have a demon with a side of creature (laughs) (laughs) um so uh yeah we're excited for that and uh, it was great chatting with you and i'd love to hear more about your projects too and uh who knows man maybe we can get you to do some kind of homecoming and like you write a script, I'll direct it, something like that. You know, we'll do a mashup, make a short, smash some heads together. Yeah, let's do something, man. Cool, sounds good. Let's get creative. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I'll point out before we sign off that Tommy has been, I think, drinking coffee this whole time. This is whiskey, actually. Is it whiskey? <laughs> no, <laughs> that'll be fine. I mean, you just had a, a fruitful uh, business trip. No, it's coffee. I, I, I do have a cocktail once in a while, but. You know, I try to keep myself uh, in check sometimes. You know, for the majority of the time. Yeah, uh, I've been, I've been, I killed a cream soda while we were talking. So. Oh, that's delicious. Know. Yeah, Dr. Brown's. Right. All right, All man. Right. Thank well, you. Uh, thank you. There you have it. There he is, Tom DiNucci, man of many talents, holder of many useful metaphors, and champion of Rhode Island film. There you go, Rhodey. One more shout-out for all of you. I love you, and I appreciate you. So does Tom. Uh, thank you to everybody listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode. Again, if you did, you can head on over to iTunes or to my website, mdbiazio.com, and Go listen to a bunch of episodes in the archives. They're all there waiting for you. Anything that you do enjoy, please consider sharing on social media, on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. You can write a handwritten letter and get it photocopied at your nearest FedEx Kinko's and stuff some envelopes and mail them out to strangers so that they can be really confused and probably not do anything because that's weird. But you could do it. You could do it. 
uh, if you want to be more efficiently helpful because you like the podcast or you enjoyed this episode in particular, then you can alternatively go to the Patreon campaign for Coffee with Creatives and pledge a monthly contribution in whatever amount you are comfortable to help the podcast grow. Again, I am starting to run a little short on time in producing the show. I do want to keep bringing it to everyone. And the best way in the short term for me to do that is probably going to bring on some help. If we can get that honorable, small, monthly amount of income for the podcast up a little bit, it would be that much easier for me to explore that option. So if you can, very much appreciated. If you can't or aren't interested yet, that's okay. I will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode, and we will uh, keep on working on the rest of that in the short term. That's it, my fellow creative minds. That is the episode. If you were inspired, uh, let Tom know. Shoot him a note on Twitter. Let me know. I always appreciate that. Yeah, good luck with uh, the next couple of weeks of creating. As you all know, especially if you listen to the last episode, I think that it's an important time to be creating right now. So the more that we can help one another by sharing information and banding together to inspire and to give each other confidence, I think the better. So let's keep doing that. Let's keep in touch. Let's help one another. Let's be open. Let's explore. Let's eat cake because it's delicious. I like cake a lot. Um, I would probably go for ice cream or pie, but um, it's just any pastry we can eat and enjoy. Pizza, also, I think probably I need a snack. I'm going to (laughs) go. Thank you uh, once again. I will keep saying it for listening, and uh, have a good one, and see you in a couple of weeks.